The sermon text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Uh, We continue in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, as we know, uh, working our way uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book and through books of the Bible in the preaching. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We know that Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly called the Hall of Faith. It describes many of those who, in the Old Covenant, believed in God's promise of a Savior. These people listed in the Hall of Faith were not perfect people. They were not sinless people. They were sinners saved by grace, and that grace was evidenced in their lives. We saw in this hall of faith thus far Abel, Abel who was granted saving faith, and with that saving faith that he was granted by God, he worshiped God with a true heart. And then Enoch, Enoch who also was a granted saving faith, and he walked with God. He walked in fellowship with God, in communion with God. In the midst of a wicked and a perverse generation, Enoch walked with the Lord. And then Noah. Noah, who by faith, we read, built an ark according to God's command. And it was the ark that God used as a means to saved Noah and his family from the waters of judgment. See, all of these people, all these believers lived by faith. They had the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen because they lived by faith, not by sight. And so as we consider these that we've uh, just mentioned, what, what have we learned from these Old Covenant believers We learned that they were faithful. They lived for God when many around them were living sinfully, were living in wickedness. They weren't perfect, but they sought to honor God. Noah was not a perfect man, but he was a man who sought to honor God as the Lord worked on his heart. They were faithful. They were also commended by God. We read in the scriptures that God rewarded their faith. They were given rewards because of the fact that they earnestly sought after God as God gave them that divine grace. And you know, when we think about Noah and Enoch and the fact that they didn't see the promises come to pass in their lifetimes, we who now read the scriptures have a divine perspective of their lives we see that though they didn't receive the promises in their lifetimes, ultimately God 
commended them for their faith because they lived to please God. They were faithful, they were commended, and they were also patient. They did not see the promise of a Savior fulfilled in their lifetimes, but they lived day by day, believing that God would stay true to his word. We read this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, that they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They only saw them from afar. They didn't experience them in their lifetimes, yet they remained faithful and they were patient. These things, faithfulness, commendation, and patience, were evident in the lives of Noah, of of Enoch, but they were also evident, especially in Abraham's life. Abraham's, who is the next one on the list here, from the Old Covenant here in Hebrews chapter 11. We see first that Abraham was called by God. Abraham was called by God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, again, I want to emphasize that uh, the saints listed in Hebrews chapter 11 were not perfect. They were born in sin just like everyone else. And we know what sin does, do we not? Sin uh, causes us to turn away from God, causes us not to seek after the things of God, but instead to run from God. See this especially in Adam and Eve. After they sinned, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord because of their shame, because of their nakedness. A sin doesn't cause us to seek after God. It actually causes us to uh, turn away from God. And so when we read that Abraham was called by God, we need to see that this is always the case, loved ones. It is always God who seeks out sinners, not vice versa. And we read that because God came to Abraham, When he came to Abraham, he called him out of his divine grace because Abraham, we read, was a sinner living among sinners. In Genesis chapter 11, we read that Abraham, who at that time was known as Abram, he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was a city that was known for its idolatry. It was known... It was a place where false gods were worshipped. There was a tower, actually, in the middle of the city that was dedicated to the moon god. And, you know, later generations of Israel point this out, that it was only by divine grace that Abraham was called because Abraham was a sinner himself. Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 to 3 Joshua, when he's addressing Israel, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. 
Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Joshua is highlighting the divine grace that God showed to Abraham, the divine mercy that God showed. What the Bible is emphasizing, loved ones, is that Abraham was the object of God's grace, that God came to Abraham, that God called Abraham out of paganism, called him out of idolatry, out of sin, and he called him to himself. What we often refer to when we talk about God's calling is we call it, we explain it as being an effectual call, an effective call. Many of us are probably familiar with that term. When we speak about effectual call, it simply means that it truly takes effect in reality. It actually works. It's not a theoretical. It's not a mere possibility. When we talk about effectual calling, it's that calling by God to the sinner to forsake the sinner's old way of life, to leave sinful lifestyle, and to come to God. And this effectual call always is effective. That's why we say that it is effectual. Uh, This is sometimes referred to as irresistible grace. Uh, It's grace that is irresistible in the sense that God's saving work overcomes it. It overpowers uh, whatever resistance we set up against it, whatever barriers the sinner might feel they can put up to resist God's saving grace. God's effectual call breaks through any barriers erected by sinful man, any barriers erected against it. And when the Holy Spirit in that effectual call comes into the heart of of the one that God is calling, God will bring that sinner to repentance. It always happens as God ordains. The effectual call, loved ones, cannot fail. And when this effectual call comes from God, it changes us completely. We are given a new nature. We go from death to life. We go from light, from darkness to light. It's a complete change. 180-degree change. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is an excellent summary of our Christian faith, it says in chapter 10 in describing effectual calling, it says, All those and only those whom God has predestined to life, he is pleased to call effectually in his appointed and accepted time by his word and spirit. He calls them from the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. This effectual call goes out from God. And what happens when it reaches the sinner? What, happen, what happens when the call comes through the word and the spirit? We read, God enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly. 
so that we can now understand the things of God. The effects of sin on our minds and on our reason are, are lifted, and we are given the mind of Christ to understand uh, spiritual things. And not only is our mind renewed, but he takes away our hearts of stone and he gives us hearts of flesh so that we can now not just seek after God, we can truly love God. He renews our wills, heart, mind, uh, mind, heart, now our will, by his almighty power, and he turns our will to what is good, and he effectually draws us to Christ. Now we desire the things of God. We will after the things of God because the will that we had that was before bent toward sin is now instead bent toward the things of God. It is seeking after Jesus Christ. And the confession says, God does all this in such a way that we come most freely, being made willing by his grace. So God, in renewing us in this way, we now desire the things of God. He doesn't drag us to himself, but he, in renewing us, and making us new creatures in Christ, he now gives us a desire to be his. We are made willing by his grace. And loved ones, this is the call that Abraham received and that all who trust in Christ receive. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 56, that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus there highlighting that Abraham was graciously granted saving faith. And by that saving faith, he was enabled to live in confident faith that God would fulfill his promises. Abraham, the Lord Jesus says, was looking forward to Christ. He was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise that God had given him. And so what do we need to underline here? The fact that Abraham wasn't worthy, loved ones, of such grace, but he was granted it by God. He was called out of his sin, and he was called to his Savior. And none of us are worthy of receiving such grace. And so if you are here this morning, you know, it is because you have been enabled to love him. You have been effectually called. The Westminster Confession of Faith continues and says, this effectual call is from God's free and special grace alone. It's not from anything at all that God foresees in man who is entirely passive in it until being made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is enabled to answer the call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Abraham was called. He was granted saving grace, and he was able to answer the call of God because of the way that the Lord supernaturally worked on his heart. A wonderful example of uh, the supernatural work is also found in the New Testament, uh, in uh, Lydia whom we read about in 
Acts chapter 16. Uh, Lydia was, uh, when we read about her, we read that she was a successful uh, businesswoman. She was perhaps a self-made person, very self-sufficient. We read that she most likely had uh, considerable wealth because of uh, her profession. But we read in Acts chapter 16 that the Apostle Paul and others were in Philippi. They were there on the Sabbath, and they went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where they thought that uh, people would be meeting for prayer. And we read that they sat down to speak with some of the women gathered there. In verse 14 of Acts 16, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord, we read, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The sovereign work that the Lord accomplished in Lydia's heart is the same sovereign supernatural work that the Lord accomplished in Abraham's heart and that he accomplishes in the heart of each and every one of his people. God effectually called Abraham. Loved ones, if you this morning confess the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is because you too have been effectually called by a gracious God. Not for anything that we have done, but it is all a result of God's mercy to us. Secondly, we see that Abraham obeyed God's command. Abraham was called by God. Secondly, he, was, he also obeyed God's command. Look again at verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, when the writer of Hebrews says this about Abraham, what he's referring to is is that call that Abraham received in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read these verses again. We read this during our second reading. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, verse 4, just as the Lord had told him. So the writer of Hebrews makes the connection for us between saving faith, between that effectual call that Abraham received, and obedience to God's commands. Abraham received the effectual call. He received saving faith as a gift by grace alone. And it was evidenced in his life 
by his obedience to God. Again, highlight verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Loved ones, we need to consider the fact that it was not easy for Abraham to obey. This was difficult. It was costly. It was scary. Look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. What is the Lord commanding Abram to do? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God was calling Abraham to leave the sources of his personal identity, his family, his extended family, right? To leave his uh, extended network of friends and those people that knew him and, and he knew in his community and his larger community, the community that did not ultimately leave and travel with him. Leave, says the Lord, that place. Leave all that you know, all that security that you have, and go. Where? To a place uh, that I will show you, to the land that I will show you. Abraham wasn't given a map by God, God pointing out the land, you know, hey, this is, this is why it looks good. Here are pictures. It wasn't like a tour guide. Abraham, do you want to go? Uh, which you can pick, right? Uh, Abraham, uh, look how great it looks. Don't you want to follow me now? The writer of Hebrews underlines the fact that Abraham obeyed when he was called by God, not knowing where he was going. He simply trusted in God's provision. That's what the writer of Hebrews captures, especially in verse 8. Abraham had no idea where God was leading him. Uh, What we see with Abraham was that he was informed by God's word. He received God's promise, and his response was one of trust, one of faith, one of obedience to God's word. By faith, he obeyed, he trusted, we might say, and then he obeyed. Loved ones, this is what God calls each and every one of us to do as he enables us by his grace. He calls us to trust him and to obey him even when it's difficult. Even when uh, we can't understand what he's doing. When we can't see uh, the final outcome. What are we supposed to do? We are to trust and to obey. You remember the conversation between Jesus and his disciples when they were in the upper room on the night when Jesus was about to be betrayed. This conversation is recorded for us in John chapter 14. And in that upper room, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for his death and his departure. And there that night, the disciples were especially feeling the pressure. The, the, the pressure that Jesus was feeling in Jerusalem during that final week of his life from uh, the religious leaders, the way that they had already been plotting to kill him, the disciples were nervous. The disciples were worried. And Jesus, on that night, spoke these words of comfort to them. We read in John chapter 14, verse 1. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And it was Thomas who spoke up at that moment. Thomas who said what all the other disciples were thinking. Uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus responds to Thomas in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Loved ones, what does the Lord Jesus call his disciples to do in this uncertain hour? That night when they were terrified and fearful and worried about the future, what did he call his disciples to do? Verse 1, believe in God, believe also in me. For Thomas and for the disciples that night, they had no way to understand why the cross would be a good thing, why Jesus dying would be a good thing, why their persecution would be a good thing. What does the Lord Jesus call them to do? Believe in God, believe also in me. Trust. Trust. Friends, trust in the Lord. This is what we are called to do, even when life doesn't seem to make sense according to our reason, according to our way of thinking. Even when things are difficult, when we are struggling, we are called to trust in God and to seek to live in obedience to his revealed will. Why? Because he knows what he is doing. He is all wise. See, he's not just omniscient, knowing all information. The Bible describes describes our God as the all-wise God. That means that he takes all the information at his disposal, which is every bit of information, and he applies it. He works everything toward the best possible outcome. He is all-wise, and he is also, loved ones, our heavenly Father. He is our Heavenly Father who loves us. He will never give us stones instead of bread. He will never give us scorpion instead of something good or serpent instead of something good. He is our Heavenly Father who loves us, and so we are called to trust and obey Him as Abraham did. And thirdly, Abraham, we read, had an eternal perspective. We read in verses 9 through 10, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The faith we see in Abraham's life caused him to have an eternal perspective. We read in Genesis about Abraham, that when he arrived in the land that the Lord had given him, um, during his lifetime, he 
didn't own much of it. Actually, all that he ended up owning during his lifetime was a small plot of land, um, plot that he ultimately bought to bury his wife. And even you know, if you read Genesis chapter 23 about the exchange between Abraham and the inhabitants of the land, who were the Hittites at that time, um, the Hittites liked Abraham. They saw that he was influential. They saw that he was wealthy. And so they wanted, in a sense, to be on good terms with him. And so they offered Abraham to bury his wife, Sarah, in one of their tombs. But Abraham, in that story, he insists that they allow him uh, to buy a plot of land. He wanted to buy the land in order to bury his wife in it. See, Abraham was demonstrating his faith in God's promise that even though he now only owned a small plot of land, he believed that the whole land was his, that God would soon grant his descendants all of Canaan. We know that this later came to pass in the life of Joshua and in that second generation of Israel that ultimately conquered the land under the Lord's strength. But Abraham lived, we read, in Canaan. He lived there, but not permanently. He lived there as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. Why? Because he knew that the land promise that he received from God was only a pointer to a future, a more solid reality. For Abraham, that land promise that he received from the Lord was like a sacrament, a sacrament that pointed to a greater spiritual reality. This is what the writer of Hebrews underlines for us in verse 10, that Abraham, as he was sojourning in the land that was his, but not really his yet, as he was sojourning in that land, what he was doing was he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking towards something greater than that land, that earthly land that God had promised him. He was looking forward to the new heavens and a renewed earth. He was looking forward to the city of God, a city, we read, that has foundations. You know, our world that we live in is corrupted by sin. It seems so often that This world is a world without foundations. That every day of our lives feels unstable. This is why I I can only read so many news headlines before I have to turn it off and do something else or read something else. It seems like this world is cursed with instability. And even we are so frail. We experience natural disasters. We experience financial losses, illnesses. We see loved ones, do we not? Day by day, how frail, how fleeting a life is. And Abraham knew this. And so his hope was not in that land that God had promised him and his descendants, but his hope was in the city that God would establish, the new heavens and the new earth, the city that has foundations, place that is unchangeable, where there will be no sin. It will be completely 
stable. It will be sure for eternity. Why? Because its designer and builder is God. It is uncorrupted by sin. Loved ones, God has prepared a city for us that in the last day will be revealed. We, like Abraham, can't see it now. But we trust that God has prepared it for us. It is a place where there will be no sin. We in this life, on this earth, we journey through it like pilgrims. We, like Abraham, raise families. We care for those that we love. We enjoy the things that God has blessed us with. We buy land. We buy homes. We run our businesses. We do what God has called us to do all the while, living by faith, fixing our eyes on the city that is to come, that new Jerusalem. It's a kingdom that has foundations, loved ones. It's a kingdom that will never be shaken. Amen. Let us